Thank you, Pastor, for the privilege of sharing with your congregation this morning again. Some of you I've met the previous weeks, and this morning I met at least one for the first time, and Charlotte and I are delighted as we have opportunity to worship with you. I love, you, you don't know me at all probably at this point, but I, there are a lot of things that I love about your church, starting with your pastor, who, for whom I pray, whether I'm here on a Thursday night or not, that God would strengthen him with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. And that's been my prayer for you, Chris, for actually months now, and I keep praying it. And we love the music. Uh, we know the songs you're singing, and that makes it uh, easy for us to enter in. Uh, I don't think I mentioned our first Sunday here that we have, uh, we have three sons, one of them whom is a church musician, raising five kids, and the oldest three have figured out how to make a little money at what they're doing. So they are the, they are the boobar busking boys. They live in Phoenix, and uh, you'll find them sometimes outside the Phoenix... Uh, Diamondbacks Stadium playing a melodica, a keyboard, and a violin, and sometimes Daddy playing a little bit on some percussion stuff. And people love it when kids do. So what made me think of that was you young people who are, are playing this morning as we began our service, keep doing that. Um, actually, what I really love about our grandsons is that they get to do that at church too. And that's where... Um, God, I think, is greatly glorified. So lots of things I could chat about with you about uh, your life as a church and just some connections we see as we're gathering with you from time to time. Now, I, I have no intention, it's not my desire that I need to preach through the book of Joshua with you. But I just thought, well, we did Joshua 1 last week. Let's do Joshua 2 this week. So I'm going to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to a well-known story though uh, not always understood um, as well as we could. So I'm going to share with you from the second chapter of Joshua this morning. Joshua chapter 2, if you've turned with me, I'm reading from the ESV translation, and it's good for us to read through the scriptures. I appreciate by that, by the way, Paul, you're leading us in worship with the scriptures as well. Joshua 2, beginning with verse 1, And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho, especially. And they went and they came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab who lodged there and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out did not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. She had brought them up on the roof and hid them in the stalks of flax she had laid on the order, in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. 
Before, before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. The fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Shyam and Og, whom you devout, devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you will also deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brother and my sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, you will we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, Go into the hills to go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward you may go your way. And the men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear behold when the when we come into the land we shall tie this scarlet cord in the window you shall excuse me you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down and you shall gather into your house your father and your mother your brothers and all your father's household and then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the streets his blood shall be on his own head we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is within this house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, According to your word, so be it. Then she sent them away, and they departed. She tied the scarlet cord in the window. And they departed went to the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned and the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. And then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun. And they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. This is a reading of God's Word. Now, one of the things we're going to see today as we look at the story of Rahab is that it's really not a story about Rahab, but it's a word, about, a word to us about God Himself, God, who offered to Rahab mercy. But Rahab would have to do something to receive that mercy. And that which she would have to do was to step out of her own comfort zone, her own way of life, the normal things of life. Now, I suspect most of us this morning would say, well, there's, I'm not living in my comfort zone. I'm, I'm here to do whatever God wants me to do. And that may be the case, but 
it'd be good for us to look at this passage of Scripture nonetheless, just to see, to make sure that we, if we would like to experience the great mercy of God, would be willing always to step outside of those zones that we often call it, call comfort. Consider the words in case you don't think it's possible that you are part of that comfort zone world. Consider the wor words of Richard Dahlstrom who described that zone in a book he called, he, that he wrote called The Colors of Hope. He quips this way, Lock your doors at night, get an alarm system, save 10%, make sure you invest, your investment is insured, take your vitamins, minerals, omega-3s, ginkgo bil bilboa, and St. St. John's wort, Eat lots of soluble fibers, exercise, get eight hours of sleep, go to church regularly, being certain to drive carefully both on your way there and on your way home. It's best if your car's the biggest because then you are the safest. Don't go on mission trips to places where you might contract staph infection, malaria, intestinal parasites, or face a terrorist plot. Risky hobbies? forget it. Read books instead. Eat organic. Get a colonoscopy. That's the safe life in a humorous expression. And sometimes I admit when I look on Facebook, I'm even more uh, surprised than other than just the fact that everybody wants to tell you everything that they've eaten, how many warnings they put out about, well, you shouldn't eat this, and you make sure you do this, and it's all about keeping safe and healthy. So welcome to Sunday morning, safest hour of the week for many people. Welcome to the community of the secure, right? Theologically, the comfortable. Maybe, just maybe, you're one, like me, who still wants to play, who wants to run, who wants to see what God has for us and to do it. Well, if that's the case, then perhaps you will say to God today, God, put me in. Let me participate. Let me play in this kingdom that you've called us to. It was J.I. Packer who wrote in an article in Christianity Today, it needs to be said loud and clear that in the kingdom of God, there, and I love this coming from J.I. Packer, there ain't no comfort zone and never will be. There never will be. And here's why. No one ever grows in a comfort zone. Never. They may be entertained or lulled, kind of like the frog in the kettle. But to become, to grow, to live, to experience the fullness of God's mercy, we just got to get out of that zone. So that leads us to the story of Joshua 2, a story about God's mercy and a single woman named Rahab and how she gets out of that zone. Consider this. It's about 1400 B.C. You can do the math. A long time ago. And probably 2 million plus of them 
Israelis, Jewish people, people of the Hebrew tribe, are about to be stretched like they have never been stretched before. They are uh, no longer going to be desert camping. No more muddling along in the wilderness one stop after another. They're about to engage and to be engaged in the promises of God and His fulfillment for them. They're about to get out. After 40 years, they're about to get out of that somewhat comfort zone. And two of them are about to meet this woman named Rahab. Imagine for just a moment as we start today, you're one of these two spies. You approach this double stone walled city, late Bronze Age, the city of Jericho. You can still visit it, by the way, today. You've waded across the swollen Jordan. You've hiked nearly six miles. There you are. This gateway city, actually you walk through the gate of the gateway city, which is not always easy to traverse. There you see these people-peppered shadows, one shop lined up after another along the wall. You bend your way in. You try to stay out of view. You're trying to pick up on the scuttlebutt of Jericho to learn of its strengths and its vulnerabilities. Wonder what they might be. You see people gathering. You follow them. And you make your way into Rahab's place, a kind of a, an inn, I suppose, a, a business that's been around, oh, probably since the very beginning of the city itself. Might not have always been called Rahab's, but it is today. She welcomes you. She says, come in. She even listens to you. Her name means pride, but it, it's kind of like uh, broad and wide, open, willing to listen to a troubled spirit. Maybe yours, she thinks. Her soul has been stirred in Days and years recently, things are coming to the surface in her own life when you meet her. You're there for a couple of reasons. One of them is found in verse 1. You can't miss it. You're there to uh, take a good look, to see in. We might say spy. That's a word that's used. We read about your entrance in this passage as well as in Hebrews chapter 11. Your purpose is to see, to understand. But it's not just that. It's not just that. Now you have to go outside of the text to see what else is God's purpose for these two men. You'll find it in the book of James. You may want to put your finger. I put a marker in my Bible this morning in James chapter 2, it's a, an important verse that tells us about this story. James chapter 2, verse 25 reads, And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the, and you can underline it, the messengers and sent them out by another way. 
Now, some translations might actually say spy, but they're not spies in this text. They're messengers. It's the word we get our word angel from. It's one who is there to proclaim. That's why you're there. Not just to look, but to say something to at least Rahab and who knows, maybe others, but we learn from the book of Hebrews in that famous faith chapter, chapter 11, that those who were disobedient, which really means unbelievers, people who did not believe, they're not going to receive this message. So it's just Rahab. Purpose again, to see, to explore, to be a messenger. We read the story. We find that God is at work. He is about to reach into the heart of this well-worn woman who was morally bankrupt, if anybody was, living in a bankrupt city where he offers her mercy as he draws her to life, a life that she could not even perhaps imagine, draws her out of that comfort zone of her life, out of that death zone, out of that life of meaninglessness, and turns her to himself in such a wonderful way. Well, how does it happen? Well, that's what our story tells us. And there are just a few things that you'll see that help us understand how she turns from the comfort zone into the zone of God's great mercy. And the first step that she takes is to acknowledge the emptiness of life, and she does in Joshua 2. Her life was so tiring, so unfulfilling, busy. Oh, it was busy, I am sure of that. But it's kind of, I don't know, like a gas tank that just has a small hole in the bottom of it. It, 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 it it's always losing it's it's never staying full now you read the story you can see that she lived in a, a culture that was lost let me just remind you of a couple of things the politics were okay they were a city state a polis as they would be referred to they had their own king verse 2 see that Structures would have been okay. There seemed to be some value of family, at least there was to her. And from what we know from ancient texts, family was very important to people in that part of the globe at that time in history. But there was this issue of how they pursue truth. And it was a polytheistic world. And so they had the gods of El and Baal and Dagon and Hadad, who was the storm god. And I think that god has been visiting around here recently. But they worshipped these gods, all of their whims and desires. And it was just this ongoing world. It never ended. It was a really a godless life. It was filled with godless practices, prostitutes, human sacrifice were customary. And we see all of that about these people. And they lived in fear. The Bible, the text tells us, they had this fear of failure in life. They were so wicked in God's eyes. They lived this life, generation upon generation. 
Now, we read about them way back in the book of Genesis, the 15th chapter. You'll remember some of this because you're good students of the word. But Genesis chapter 15, verse 16, God makes note of their sins 400 years earlier. And he says of this, you want to remember this, that it had not reached its full measure. It had not been made complete, I think it says in the ESV. But by Rahab's time, oh yes, their culture, it was rich with failure and they lived in fear. That was their culture. The, Rahab lived the same way. You can't miss this as you look at the passage. For one, I suppose you could just note she was a prostitute. She was in this business of somehow meeting the needs of other people in a way that God has clearly stated immoral. But you know what I, I want you to see is that because that's probably not your story. She was a liar. She was a liar. Now, people really struggle with the story of Rahab. And I, I, you can go ahead and, and play around with it as long as you want. I, I don't think God ever commends people for lying. Uh, God didn't ask her. The spies didn't ask her to lie. They just said, don't tell them who we are, why we're here, where we've come from. Now, that was going to put a lot of pressure on her. She chose to do it through telling lies. It was a part of her moral dilemma. Her place, her life, was one of sin. And furthermore, her life also was embedded with fear. Verse 9, Rahab confessed, I know that the Lord has given you into the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us. You can't just read that and go, well, that's a... Read it intellectually. You've got to read it a little bit with, she is hurting. She is struggling. She has fear. Whatever courage, verse 11, whatever courage the people had, God long failed them. The stories of Israel over the last 40 years, as difficult as they were for the Israelites, they melted the hearts of these people. The crossings, the whippings, they made to the kings on the other side. This isn't just poetry. This is not just a story. This is something that gripped her heart and their hearts. It was a way of life, this fear. It had to be acknowledged, and it was. It was. Now, fears, fear is no stranger to America. We lived through nine one one and wondered what that would bring. We listened to the stories of Hamas or ISIS. Fear is around us. And we have infanticide, sexual, sexual, sexual sins that are going on. It's a part of our world as well. We built this comfort zone around patterns in our world, in our lives. We could color them, I suppose. There's the green of greed, the red of anger, the yellow of alcohol, the blue of lust. How about the brown of prejudice or the black of fear? Patterns. And the question is, are we tiring of them? Or any one of them. Or the, the issues of denial. 
Denial is always a part of the comfort zone of people around us, maybe ourselves. The denial that God is capable of doing anything good that really is going to help us get out. The not denial that says, well, we'll start someday, but we're not going to start today, and we trudge along in our fears. Or absolutely the great denial that maybe is the heaviest of all, and that is that heaven and hell, though spoken of clearly throughout the scriptures, well, we don't really believe in that stuff. Denial. But still there's that fear. There's that fear. We will never get out of the comfort zone until the brokenness of our own life, let alone that of our culture, is not just something we tire of, but something we want to see change. So secondly, to get out of the comfort zone and into God's mercy, there must be a growing of faith. So it's not just acknowledging the world that's going on around us. There must be this matter of a faith that is growing. I know in one sense, either you have faith or you don't have faith. I understand that. That's very biblical. I think, I think, Rahab had something of faith that needs to be acknowledged. I, I think it began when she realized that the fear that she had wasn't just a fear of the world, but it was a fear that was placed there by God himself. At least that's how she confesses it in the text that we've read already. She, she sees all the circumstances, but it is this fear that God has placed there, that God said he would put there as well 38 years ago. 38 years ago, Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 25, Israel, Israel took on their first enemies with this. God said, This very day I will begin to put the terror and fear of you on all the nations under heaven. That's what he said 38 years ago. They will hear reports of you and will tremble and be in anguish because of you. So, I think she's starting to piece this together. When I was uh, at Brad's age or maybe younger, I took on that sermon, uh, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Uh, you know, Jonathan Edwards preached like this, worse than I, just kind of reaching over his text. It wasn't Jonathan Edwards' anger that is noted or needs to be noted. It was that God is powerful and able and will deal with injustice in our life and sin with wrath. However, God is a God of mercy. God's intent is that we would know His mercy. But I suspect for you, as it was for me, even as an eight-year-old boy, it was something about the wrath of God that caused my heart to fear so that I might embrace His mercy. There was fear, but there was also this commitment to God as the only one. Did you see that? Verse 10 she calls him, and you, your pastor uses 
helps you understand these things, Yahweh. She calls him the Lord. Others might have been called that, but when you read verse 11, she says, or he, she says of God, for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Where did that come from? Well, I'll tell you this. It's the fourth time that it's used in the Old Testament. The fourth time. Once in Exodus, twice in Deuteronomy. It's a mark, I think, in her life of true conversion when she understood that this God whom she had this fear of was truly the only God himself. So that becomes evident in the text. But then there's thirdly, that God, this God who she now is confessing, has the ability to bless her. That's huge. He's, he's able to offer to her this mercy. Verse 12, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house. Now the word kindly is used a number of times in this passage and it is one of the common, most common words for mercy in the scriptures. It's, it's not just about God's mercy. As you can see, she has been kind to them. But nonetheless, this chesed, as it's referred to in scripture, is what she wants. And God is able, she believes that God is able to bless her. And verse 13, what she wants you follow this through now from fear to the naming of God as God to the fact that she believes God is able to bless her is that she wants salvation well that's my my paraphrase of it she wants she wants life she wants to be spared and then what happens well fourthly Rahab actively turns you see, all of this, if you've been a believer, you know all of these steps in your own coming to Christ somehow spread out in your experience with Him. I mean, she completely turns. She doesn't hedge her bet. She doesn't try to cover for herself. If this thing doesn't work, she is dead. But she takes the step of faith and she trusts in God. God does a marvelous thing in her life. That's why she is in Hebrews chapter 1 verse, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 11 verse 31. She's in the crowd. She's a part of those who are marked for her faith, for her faith. That's what this act of turning is, trusting in Him. It's, it's not just enough to bring our mess to God we need to bring our life to God. We need to be like the prodigal who turns and leaves it behind and runs to the Father. She did. She did. Out of the comfort zone, into the mercy zone of God. There's one last indicator. we look at it briefly. It, it's also found, we have to go outside the text. I don't do that very often. But James chapter 2, verse 25 again and it reads, and in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works? We're not going to get into the theology of works today. Your pastor will do better with that than I will. When she received, notice it, when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. Here's how she lived by faith. She lived by faith all the way. 
She demonstrated her faith all the way. There was nothing half-hearted about it. It was all the way. And what did she do? Well, she received and she gave lodging and she helps them get out safely. That's what we learned from Hebrews 11. You notice, I, I don't know, maybe it's not important. There's nothing mentioned about the scarlet cord. Everybody, probably, most everybody preaches Joshua 2 and they want to talk at the scarlet cord. And scarlet cord is a picture of God's provision of salvation that runs through all the scripture. I know that. But I just want you to see. I, I, I don't know Tennessee culture that well yet. I, I, I've told some people I don't think I'll ever get asked to preach in Tennessee because you've got to take some time to get to know a culture and I'll be dead before I, I get that that have that much time but but i i i gotta tell you i i I, i'm amazed it seems like everything i go to feels like i'm in a christian meeting maybe they all are but i got a hunch that a lot of it is that somebody someplace raised their hand walked forward said a prayer did something and that was the end that was the end but it was not the end for rahab Rahab followed what she confessed with a life that matched her confession. So, we want in every way, I believe, as Packer said, to live this life outside the comfort zone. I don't know what God might be saying to you today or has been. Rahab's been troubled by this for a while. I, I, I'm not here to kind of use your emotion, if I could, to get you to decide something, if I could. But has God been speaking to you about your life and the life you've been living. And he says, there's a better life. What's that better life? Oh, living in my mercy, living in my mercy. You know, I haven't done this complete this study completely yet, but I've been reading recently this last couple of weeks about mercy. Lord, have mercy, I think, is the number one prayer in the New Testament, at least in the Gospels. Lord, have mercy. Rahab prayed that. For her, it was the beginning of her life with God. For some of you, you've begun your life with God, but, but there are things God's been speaking to you about, and, and you know you just need to say, God, yes, I'm going to live by faith, and I'm not just going to think some things about who you are. I'm going to pull a Rahab. I'm going to act. I, I, I may not act perfectly. Rahab surely didn't. Ah, oh, but God changed her life forever. You know, God not only changed her life forever. I'm here to tell you, God changed my life in part because of Rahab. I mean, I read that account of all the lineage, lineage of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. And there, there, is Rahab. Rahab. 
who in a distant way is a part of the lineage of Jesus, our Savior. Isn't that amazing? Prostitute. Oh, you know, you read in Joshua 6 about how all this stuff ends and how the wall comes down and about Rahab again and her family. But like I said, she never mentions a husband. She never mentions kids. But you get to the end of the story in Matthew chapter 1. There was a husband. There were kids, or at least one. All because one day, the fear that God put into her heart was turned to life in the mercy of God. Let's pray. So, in your own heart, in your own life today, is there something? Has God been stirring you to step out, live a life differently than you presently are? And you say, well, it'll be so difficult for me. I suspect it won't be as difficult as it was for Rahab. But I don't think Rahab thought it was difficult. She just knew she had to do it. Do you know you need to? And maybe it is to begin your life with Christ by confessing Him as your Savior and beginning to follow Him in faith. Will you commit yourself to do that? Lord, don't let go. Dangle your mercy in our face, we pray again, that we might turn and follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.